Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Pline and Diana Seacombe, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hey, Hi, Erin. <laughs> Hi, Diana. <laughs> I, I have to tell everyone something because they can't see when we record. But we, I mean, we're recording remotely, right? Because mm-hmm. editing. Um, every single time you say, we know nothing about our legal system, you roll your eyes. <laughs> do I? You do. You go, we know nothing about our legal system. <laughs> and it's so great. It's like nobody can see you do the facial expressions, Diana. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Maybe we need to do a live show. I think we do. That would be so much fun. That would be fun. So I was going to tell you that I... Uh, I did a recording for a work thing today. It was a video recording. And he asked me to introduce myself. Oh, no. (laughs) I had to think about it for a minute. (laughs) I'm Diana Seacon and I know nothing about shit. That's not right. Wait, I mean, what I what I mean is I'm Diana Seacon from. (laughs) Right. Uh, Here's my title that I cannot say. Right. What in the first try and what I do here. So did you learn anything this week? I did. Um, I, I don't know why this made me happy, but it did. I learned this week that the red star that's the symbol of Macy's, the department store. Yeah. It was based upon the tattoo of the founder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's very cool. So Roland Hussey Macy. Oh, mm. my was a whaler before he was a merchant. And at one point he got lost at sea, but he found his uh, way with a star to guide him back to shore. And after that, he got a star tattoo. And when he started his dry goods store in New York in 1858, he adapted that star as the corporate logo. Very cool. I thought it was cool not only because it's a good story, but it's been the same logo for damn near 200 years. Yeah. And he had a tattoo in 1858. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we recently covered a victim with a red star, and that's how she was identified. Am I losing my mind? No, that seems familiar, but I would also like to point out that those, like, barn stars have gotten to be really popular tattoos. Truth. Also popular on suburban homes, which I find disturbing. Yes. It's true. I think, actually, my mom has one in her house, but it's little. It's not, like, the size of a barn star. But I also feel like it probably goes with your mom's decor. Oh, yeah. Whereas when you have a 1970s split level? Less so. Less so. Yeah, it's true. It is very true. So, Erin. Yeah. Now that you've learned about my feelings about barn stars. Yes. (laughs) We're all learning a lot today. That's right. Did you learn anything this week? I did. I learned something about wallabies. That they're adorable and you can hold them at Rosedale? Yes. Definitely that. Um, So we held a baby wallaby this past week. And it was so great. Oh, my gosh. It was wrapped up in a little fleece pouch. They had sewn it a little pouch. And it was down in there. But he could get out if he wanted. And we were holding him like a baby. And Sophie loved him. So I learned something about wallabies. And what I learned is that there are 11 species of wallabies. They are the smallest members of the kangaroo family. Yeah. Um, and the tiniest one is a dwarf wallaby. <gasps> and a dwarf wallaby is only 18 inches from the tip of his nose to the base of his tail. So then add like another 12 inches for the tail itself. And he weighs three and a half pounds. Can I have one of those? I was actually going to look that up. I'm going to go with no, but I'll check just in case. Can you own a wallaby in Minnesota? Oh, my God. It typed it for me. <laughs> it's like, I know what you want. Google knows you. Um, probably not. But. Yeah. It. Um, mm. All right. Here we go. 
you would need to move to Arizona, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, or Mississippi. No. Um, no, 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 no. Okay, so you may or may not be able... So it's Nevada, Wisconsin, Ohio, West Virginia, North, and South Carolina. You don't need a license. Um, if you have a... Wisconsin. I know. <laughs> if you have a permit, you can have one in Arizona, Idaho, North, and South Dakota, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Mississippi, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Virginia, or Rhode Island. And here... If you have the right, you meet the requirements and go through all of the whatevers, you could own one. Um, Arkansas, Kansas, Florida, Maine, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Tennessee. Are the requirements, they're cute and I want one? I'm going to go with no. This is really harshing my mellow. But... You do have a season's pass to the place where you can go pet it and you don't have to clean up its poop. I don't yet, but I am definitely going to be getting one post-haste. Yes, you should definitely do that. Oh, yeah. I haven't even told Liam yet about it. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I need to do other things today. (laughs) (laughs) We will need to go soon. Oh, yes. No, I'm definitely going to buy the season pass. That sounds amazing. So. So, yeah, that is what I learned about wallabies. Yay, Plus the so name cute. is just great. Oh my god! And you know what? They're soft. I thought they would be coarse. Mm-hmm. They are not. They're like a cat. They're so soft. At the Seavers Corn Maze a few years ago, when we were down there, they had a little petting zoo. They do every year, but that year we went into it, and they had <laughs> kangaroos—not great big ones, but I think like baby and teenage kangaroos. And you could pet them, and they are so soft, which I didn't expect. Yeah. I thought they'd be coarse, and yeah. they're so soft. Yep. Nope. Yeah. So, that's what I learned. That's adorable. Did you post the picture of Sophie with the wallaby on the Crime Crazy I did socials? not, but I will. I posted it on my Instagram, but mm-hmm. I will post it on both. Yeah, I knew I saw it, but I couldn't remember which one it was on. Yeah. All right, you need to do that. It's so adorable, you guys. Yes. Um, We forgot a step, so we need to backtrack for a second. (laughs) We sure did. Yeah, we mixed up our... uh, our, It's fine. We can do whatever we want. This is our podcast. So, with that in mind... I feel like the fact that we're excited about tattoos and animals pretty much sums things up. (laughs) It's true. It's true. If we've lost you, just move on. I mean, there will be murder, but, you know. Yeah, we're getting there. All right, but before the murder, allegedly, <laughs> I want to let you know that Crime Crazy is sponsored by Dave Hat. Show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. Thank you. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash crimecrazypod. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show and maybe a little something more. Yes. Are you going to tell them what that is? I don't know. Should I? Yes. I've been coy with people all day because of this work project that we're doing. I know. And now I feel like it's just invaded my my life where I'm going to answer every question with, well, you're just going to have to wait and see. On the 21st. (laughs) Well, then I'm going to tell them. All right, fine. That if you support Crime Crazy through Patreon or buy me a coffee, which is our new, um, I don't know, way of supporting us. (laughs) It's on our website, crimecrazy.com, and you just click the little button and you buy us a coffee, um, which really is like a one-time donation. Or if you do the other cool thing that we're going to talk about in a minute, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that which is reviews. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, then oh, we're going to send you a sticker because we have the cutest crime crazy stickers and we want to share. 
Yes, they are adorable. I maybe handed them out to my entire family and a few coworkers. Yes, and all of the <laughs> knitters. And yes, yes, absolutely. So you just have to email us or send us a message on social media and give us um, your address because we have to know where to send them. And your uh, either like a screenshot of your review or your username, just something that so we can find you. Yep. Um, and if you left it on a platform other than iTunes, let us know so that we can start figuring out how to collect those. Yes, definitely. Um, and if you left it in the past, like you gave us a review a year ago and you would like a sticker, you're still eligible. Yes. Just send us your name and your address. Absolutely. We are happy to send them out. Yes. U.S. only. We should say U.S. Uh, only. Um, We're, I am... I'm willing to go to Canada, too, because I okay. just happen to have some Canadian stamps around. Perfect. <laughs> My the ATM that, will only print U.S. postage. The so. fact that I have Canadian relatives is working out for our Canadian listeners. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell us other goodies. Oh, so... I have some shout outs for reviews. And just want to reiterate, if you email us your address, we will send you stickers, too. So we got reviews from Audrey too. Yay! Uh, we got a review from NYC Forever Lad. Thank you. And we got a review sneaking in under the recording wire from Casey Miller 2372. Thank you. We have a couple of new recommendations on Facebook. One from Devin Nighthorse. Awesome. One from Gina Rose. Woohoo! And although this is not a review, I would like to send a special shout out to friend and fan Susan, because it's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Susan. Happy birthday, Susan. Look, we might even get this episode out on your birthday. <laughs> I bet you're not going to listen to it till after, so I hope it was wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. Aaron, yes. I don't know if you know this. Yeah. But you built us a new website. I did. I do know. <laughs> I was up till like 1230. It is so pretty, you guys. You need to go check it out. There are links to our episodes. There are yep. links to our social medias. Yep. There are adorable pictures of the two of us. Yep. There is a contact us form. Yes. Most importantly, Erin. Yes. We were able to create email addresses so you yes. can reach us at Diana at CrimeCrazy.com or Erin at CrimeCrazy.com or if you have something you want both of us to see, undeclared eggplant at <laughs> CrimeCrazy.com. Because that makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> so please check out our new website. Get in touch with us. Let us know if you've left reviews. And also follow us on all the social medias at Crime Crazy Pod. But if you forget that, just go to our website because it's awesome. Thank you, Erin. It's amazing. Yay. Welcome. And um, thanks, fan and friend Dave, for the, uh, the website name. <laughs> Which you will be happy to know has appreciated a hundred times in value. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <sighs> Do you have a story for me, Diana? I do have a story oh, for I'm so you. I'm excited. I am too. Last week on Crime Crazy. <laughs> I talked about the murder of the Wolf family in North Dakota. Jacob Wolf, his wife, and five of his six daughters were murdered by their neighbor after confrontation about a dog biting a cow went terribly, terribly wrong. The only survivor was eight-month-old Emma because the killer didn't know she was in the house. So today, we're going to talk about a more modern crime where the child is the only survivor. This sounds so tragic. I know it is a true crime podcast. I, I remember this, <laughs> but it just sounds awful, Diana. It starts out tragic, but then it gets weird. Oh, I thought you were going to say worse. No, 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 no. Just weird. Okay. It, All right. it starts out real bad. And there's not much more bad to go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I am prepared. All right. The Romero Martinez family lived in a mobile home in Loganville, Georgia, which is an unincorporated suburb of Atlanta. And consisted of father Martin Romero, mother Isabel Martinez. They were both 33. 
and five children. Isabella, who is 10, Diana, who is 9, Dakota, who is 7, Dylan, who is 4, and Axel, who is 2. They had just moved into that neighborhood earlier the year we're going to talk about. And by all accounts, they fit in really well. They hosted several barbecues. Isabel was regarded as a happy person. She was a stay-at-home mom. She was regarded as a good mom. And the local after-school program director said that the kids who attended the program, so the, the older three, were sweet kids, great kids. But things got rough after Isabel's father died. And she wasn't able to go back to Mexico for his funeral. She was very upset about that. Mm-hmm. Neighbors said that she started acting differently and that she was a lot meaner. She said that she kept seeing things. Uh-oh. So it was maybe in an effort to help Isabel feel better. The family went on a long weekend to the beach in Savannah, Georgia, in early July of 2017. But that trip didn't go well. Isabel said that she felt a demonic spirit inside of her and became convinced that the waves would steal her children. She asked her husband to take them all home, which he did. Isabel seemed normal. There was no fighting between her and her husband on the way home from the trip. Everything seemed fine. About 5 a.m. on July 6th, Gwinnett County Police responded to a 911 call at the Romero Martinez home. When they arrived, they entered a bloody scene and found the bodies. Oh, no. Martin Romero, along with four of the five children, had been stabbed to death. Nine-year-old Diana was critically injured. Within hours, Isabel Martinez was arrested and booked into the Gwinnett Jail, and police indicated that there were no other suspects. She was charged with five counts of malice murder, five counts of murder, and six counts of aggravated assault. She was also placed on an immigration hold because at that time they were not sure that she was in the country legally. According to nine-year-old Diana, the attack came out of nowhere. The rest of the family was sleeping when she saw her mother grab a knife from the kitchen and she came for Diana. Isabel told Diana to forgive her and that she loved her and that she was going to the sky to see Jesus. When Diana said that she didn't want to go see Jesus, Isabel again told her to forgive her and that she loved her. And then she stabbed Diana repeatedly. Oh my God. She then, hmm? It's just, just awful. Yeah. And apparently she was calm the whole time. Yeah. Well, yeah, because she had some sort of break. Yep. Absolutely. She then stabbed Axel and Isabella, and then she took Diana into her father's room to show him what she'd done to their children. He then went to the living room and tried to get help, but as he made his way to the door, Isabel started stabbing him as well. She then stabbed Dylan and then carried him into the living room to be with the rest of the family. And then she called the police herself. Mm -hmm. According to Isabel, a family friend that she couldn't name, but that had full access to the house, came in and killed her family. The friend used a black knife that she'd never seen before, but was definitely from their house. She didn't know how he got inside. Or how he managed to get out before the police arrived. She said that this friend took advantage of her because he knew that Isabel was going through things with her father. She insisted that she was innocent. Uh, Oh, so she was arrested. I don't know if I got there. Yeah. (laughs) She was arrested. She's in jail. This is her story. She insisted that she was innocent and that the truth will come to light. She further said that she couldn't accept guilt because if she was guilty, she wouldn't be as calm as she was. But she did know that most of her family was dead. Um, yeah, no, if your whole family is dead, you're not calm. No, I mean... No, even if I, you're not guilty. I lose fractions at a time and I'm very upset. Right. Right. <laughs> On July 7th, so the day after all the stabbing, Isabel Martinez made her first public appearance in court, and it was weird. I believe it. Yeah. During the hearing, she smiled, and she waved her arms, and she gave a thumbs up. There is video of this, by the way, if you want to look it up. Oh, I bet it's eerie. It's 
it's weird. Um, she doesn't look like she's a big woman. Like she seems short and she's a little bit round. Um, and she's got a bit of a hair situation going on, but she looks like she's waving to friends in the crowd. Uh, no, you don't have any fans there. No, but, you know, she's giving thumbs up. There was one point where she, like, made a gesture like she was going to hug people. Uh, it was no. it was weird. She acted out to the extent that the judge warned her against making a show for the cameras and at one point told her to just stop talking. She also talked non-fucking-stop. Poor thing. I mean, I, I know she's a horrible murderer, but, like, she's not okay. No, not even a little bit. When she was offered a public defender, she said that her attorneys are the people and her faith. Mm. She repeatedly refused legal help through her translator. because She doesn't speak very good English. Right. And on the way out of the courtroom, she said, for me, the hope and the attorneys are always going to be the people and my faith. Those are my attorneys. That is why I am here. Nothing else matters. I am representing the people that are humble, hardworking, the people who suffer, and those who have a lot of charges so they understand everything is possible with God. No, I don't even understand what that means. No, I copied it verbatim from the newspaper. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, no, it's... Yeah. Um, it was also determined during that hearing that she was in the country illegally. I don't know whatever happened with that. Mm-hmm. Isabel initially pled not guilty because, you know, friend. Yeah. Uh, but at some point while awaiting trial, she changed her plea to guilty but mentally ill. Fair. Yeah. And earlier this year, she was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole on the five murder counts, 20 years for the aggravated assault, and one month on an additional third degree child cruelty charge. All sentences are to be served concurrently, and there's no word on when she might be eligible for parole or if she's getting any of the mental help she so desperately I was going to say, that's not, like, how is that just not obviously a case for she needs to be hospitalized, perhaps indefinitely, but certainly for some really thorough, intense treatment. So they didn't go into this as much as I would like. There was some pretty decent local coverage on this case. Um, and this is what I was telling you about this morning that I was actually a little bit surprised that we hadn't heard about. Although now that I think about it, I didn't see any national coverage, like not even any AP on it. Right. Um, but when she went into the first hearing and she pled not guilty and she repeatedly refer refused legal help, which apparently doesn't mean you don't get any. It just means you're unhappy about it. Yes. So at that time, there was no psych evaluation that was ordered. And it was never mentioned again whether that happened, whether, mm. you know, she just changed her plea. Yeah. It's not, she didn't go to trial. Like none of this came through. So I don't know was it more of a temporary thing? And now she's more in control of her faculties and her legal team is saying like, there's no fucking way we can get out of this. Right. You can either go to a hospital forever or you can go to right. jail for. And I don't want to make broad generalizations, but I don't know if Georgia is the most progressive when it comes to mental health treatment, especially for convicted mm. felons. Right. Right. Well, and I don't know either because I know nothing about our legal system, mm. but like, if you're not here legally, I mean, do you get the same? I mean, would you be deported for care back wherever you are from? Or would you get to stay here and have that care? Like, does being in prison guarantee that you get to stay here for a certain number of years? Like, what? I don't know what that arrangement is. I don't either. And they didn't talk about that. There were really only two mentions of her documentation status one when she was initially arrested and they were like brown person who doesn't speak very good english clearly she's here illegally right um and then they said that they were able to confirm that she was undocumented within a couple of days which seems awfully quick right <laughs> to be perfectly honest um 
but there were also some discrepancies, you know, she said when she was asked about her immigration status that she had come to Georgia 12 years ago, or she'd come to the United States 12 years ago, and she'd always lived in Georgia. But neighbors said that they had just moved from Chicago. Hmm. Um, you know, the, what is it? Is it ICE or I don't know yeah. who's doing all the horrible things these days. Um, yeah. They weren't at all able to figure out how long she'd been there. She was a stay-at-home mom, um, so she may not have had, like, an employment record. Right. So, I don't know, and and I don't know what the arrangement between the U.S. and Mexico, she's a convicted felon in the U.S., does that mean that she'll serve her time here and then they'll boot her back to Mexico if the political landscape doesn't change? Right. Um, is she actually here just fine and right. that was dropped? I don't know. I mean, I think if you're a felon, even if things don't change, that you aren't eligible for citizenship, right? I mean, we let lots of Nazis be citizens. Truth. So, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So that's my story. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I like how the only person that survived was Diana. That was unintentional. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You were like, Although, I need a story where good things happen to Diana's. Um, well, she, by the way, made a recovery. She is doing fine. She's living with good. an aunt and uncle um, who pledged to immediately get her into a whole bunch of therapy. Good. Uh, so hopefully they did that. Um, I would also like to point out that my grandma's name was Isabel. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Are you okay? Have you been to therapy? <laughs> um, she's been dead since eighty-seven, uh, okay. and I've been through lots of therapy, but not because of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So, Erin. Okay. Yes. Do you have a story for me? I do. I do. Yay! All right, so my last week, I talked about a criminal who um, would have probably gotten away with his murder, except that he got caught up in another crime, which happened to be another murder, and that that um, caused him to get caught on the first one, which was a really terrible way of saying he almost got away with it if only he had behaved. Right. So this week, I found another crime where somebody did something horrible and would have probably gotten away with it except for a traffic ticket. Oh. Man, if you're on the lam, you just, you gotta drive better. Right? (laughs) Yeah. This one is is pretty great. So I will say, uh, I'm not gonna come right out and tell you who this person is, but he is pretty mainstream and well known. So it's uh, pretty possible that you know exactly who I'm talking about right from the beginning. Ooh. So Bill Lee Suff was born August 20th, 1950, and he married a woman named Terrell, and together they lived in a little town in Texas. In 1974, they had a little girl, and when she was two months old, she was beaten to death. Holy shit. Yeah, sorry, that got dark real fast. It sure did. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Well, it's going to get better-ish in a minute. Um, so, Suff and his wife were convicted of her murder. Terrell, so T-E-R-Y-L, Terrell. Oh, my. Her conviction was later overturned because they didn't have any direct physical evidence that she had an active role in the murder of her daughter, and it was entirely possible she wasn't involved. Um, but Suff definitely was involved. And so his was upheld, and he was sentenced to 70 years in prison. His wife divorced him while he was in prison. Yep, seems fair. Um, And after 10 years, he was paroled. The fuck? Yeah. Real big mistake on Texas's part. Let me just say that now. Good job, Texas. Right? Usually they just kill people. I don't know what's going on here. But was he of normal intelligence? I don't know. Because, I mean, you have to be below normal to get executed in Texas, apparently. Well, to get imprisoned most places, really. Well, yeah. Um, So Bill, who by this time was going by William Lester Suff, 
worked, which might be a more recognizable name, worked as a warehouse clerk in his new home in California. And he was still on parole from Texas. And so technically, this led to a parole violation because he was not able to regularly check in with his Texan parole officer because he was no longer in that state. That's a long commute. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. So um, it didn't actually... Like, he didn't get caught on the parole violation, so whatever. And really, he was having a fresh start. He was doing really well for himself in California. His coworkers liked him. They said he was really mild-mannered. He was really active in the carpool. Um, He wrote books in his free time. His job at this warehouse involved delivering office furniture, and sometimes he would deliver it to the police station, got along with everybody there. And maybe because of his time spent in Texas, he cooked a hell of a chili that won contests at every office picnic. Ooh. Everything seemed great. We should do a chili cook-off at work. That sounds delicious. Right? Maybe we- listen to the rest of the story first. Seth and his new wife. So he got married again. Are you ready for her name? First wife, Terrell. Second wife, Cheryl. No! (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Cheryl. Um, They even had a new baby in the fall of 1991. Wait, wait. wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in the dating pool. Yeah. But I feel like if I ever go back in, I once served time for killing my daughter is an automatic, is it swiping left that's the bad one? I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I would do that. Like, I might delete the app from my goddamn phone. And <laughs> even if you dated and married this person, you would not have a baby with them. Oh, certainly not. Yeah. I would also not ever talk to them again. Right. Well, so he's had a name change, not his last name, um, and really went from Bill to William, which isn't much of a name change. Right. And Lee to Lester, but not it's better. No, it's possible that she didn't know. But didn't they talk? I mean, if you had been in jail for killing your baby, would you tell? I mean, I feel like I'd be one of those murder suicide people. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Same. (laughs) Um, So. William and Cheryl had a baby fall of 1991. And when the baby was three months old, it was taken to the hospital. Beryl? No, I I don't. Cheryl? I don't know this baby's name because it didn't die. Um, But it was taken to the hospital with severe trauma to the head from a beating. (sighs) And there was no evidence to link Seth or his wife to the beating. And the child miraculously recovered. Like, they said they had no idea how that child could have recovered, but it did. Um, but just to be safe, the child was taken away from his parents or her parents and put in foster care. How was the no evidence? I don't know. It's a three-month-old. Was he running around with the wrong crowd? No, I absolutely <laughs> agree. Good God. Um, but I hate to also tell you that those are not the significant crimes in this story. Oh, goody. Yeah. So things went on as normal. And, I mean, not great. But now that the kid isn't around, like, I guess okay. Until one day when William Lester Suff was driving and he made an illegal U-turn and he got pulled over. And that day was January 9th, 1992. Meanwhile... Going back in time, October of 1986, a man was collecting cans to sell at a recycling facility and he noticed something that shouldn't be there. And it was the body of a young woman stuffed into a drainage ditch. She was dressed in a blouse. thing. Yeah, not, not, not. Not in the recycling. You're sorting bad. (laughs) Oh my God. All right, so she was dressed in a blouse and shorts, but they were shredded. She was covered in blood. Her genitals were exposed and mutilated. So the man ran for help. 
And police got there and they identified her as Michelle Yvette Gutierrez. She was 23. They did an autopsy and they found that she had severe damage to her anal and vaginal cavities, stab wounds over most of her body, including her face and ligature marks. Oh, shit. Yeah. Less than a week later, the police received another terrified call. This time, Charlotte Jean Palmer, 24, had been found. She was about 25 miles away from where they found Michelle's body. She was from Illinois, but she'd been homeless and living in the Riverside area. And aside from that, there wasn't a whole lot of information on her. She, her body was really badly decomposed. And the police didn't know if the two murders were even related because they couldn't confirm her cause of death. Sure. So nearly a year passed and they didn't make any progress on either case. But then they were called to the scene of another crime. This time, Linda Ann Ortega, 37, was found. She was naked, mutilated, left along a dirt road. She'd been there for at least three days, but the coroner was able to tell she had been drinking and doing cocaine shortly before her death. Um, She had worked in a fast food restaurant, and she had been arrested for drugs and prostitution, which was how they were able to identify her so fast. Um, And at this point, three dead women all in the same area, two of which were strangled, like they were pretty sure something was going on. We have a serial killer on our hands. Yeah. So five months later in May, Martha Bess Young was found in a ravine. She had originally lived in New Mexico, but she'd been in California long enough to be arrested for drugs and prostitution, like Ortega. Hmm. She, too, had high levels of drugs in her system. Hers were amphetamines. And in fact, she had so much that the overdose was probably the cause of her death. Although being strangled at the same time had not helped. No. Yep. So she'd been dead for three weeks when she was found. And then for two years, nothing. No progress was made. No more bodies were found. Nothing. In January of 1989, they found Linda May Ruiz, who was 37. She was found in the sand by Lake Elsinore. Her head had been buried in the sand, and they found sand in her throat and her mouth. She'd been suffocated to death in it. Oh, God. So, like the previous victim, she was easy to identify because she had a record for prostitution. Then in June, another body was found. This time it was bruised, beaten, and suffocated, and her name was Kimberly Little. She was 28. She had been involved in drugs and alcohol when she was alive. She'd also been a sex worker, but she had something the other victims didn't have. She had pubic hair and fibers on her that did not belong to her. And so it didn't help them to find the killer, right? Because that's really only useful for proving that someone is the killer, but at least they finally had a clue. Yeah. So November of that year, so still in 1989, a local was walking along Temescal Canyon Road when he found the body of Judy Lynn Angel. Angel was identified with the help of criminal records related to drugs and sex work, like all of the others. She had defensive wounds on her hands and a crushed skull. Oh, God. So she'd fought back. Then, and this one is the worst, I think, in December... Christina Leal, 23, was found. She was completely dressed. And so at first they did not connect her to anybody else. Um, And it looked like she hadn't been mutilated. And um, they did recognize her because of her arrests for prostitution and drugs. Um, But she didn't seem to, to fit all the rest of the patterns until they took her in for an autopsy and took her clothes off, discovered they were not her. She had knife wounds directly to her heart. So they pierced her left breast and went into her heart. And that would have been fatal, except she was being strangled to death at the time. And that's what actually killed her. Holy shit. Um, She'd been stabbed. Octopus. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) She'd been stabbed four times in the heart. She had been hit with a blunt object in her vagina. And... She had a light bulb shoved into her so forcefully that it went in through her cervix and was in her uterus. So I have a question. Yes. But first a comment, which is, oh shit. Right. But the question is, how was the light bulb not broken? 
I am uncertain. I can barely get it out of my kitchen cabinet without breaking, let alone shove it in an orifice with force. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not certain about that. And actually, I guess I'm not certain that it wasn't broken. Um, I do know it was intact enough that they were able to identify the model because they later used that in the trial. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know. I, so I don't, I don't know if you've ever listened to my dad wrote a porno. Um, I haven't yet. <laughs> so one of the things about that, and if anybody hasn't listened to it and you're good with a podcast that was be titled my dad wrote a porno and all the things that that could mean it's amazing it is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing it's hilarious so um the author the dad who wrote the porno apparently knows nothing about female anatomy to the point where now when the podcasters go on tour the woman it's a, a trio it's james jamie and alice and alice will do a little female anatomy she puts it up on the screen and she walks you through all the parts of a woman's body <laughs> just to make sure because rocky who's the dad is forever talking about his characters having sex and like going in through their cervix and doing this like he doesn't know what a cervix is and they're always like no that would be bad that is not okay (laughs) and so when I saw this I looked it up in like three places to make sure that it wasn't a case of somebody not understanding what a cervix was but no the light bulb was definitely in her uterus so wait let's go back to Rocky the dad who wrote a porno here yes he had at least one child yeah, so his child is one of the hosts, Jamie. Right. Jamie is pretty certain that um, if not for his existence, he would 100% believe his dad had never had sex. And he <laughs> questions whether or not he's adopted. Okay. Cause because gonna, there's no way. Because I was going to say, anybody any younger than me would have had a father in the room when they're being born. And... There is a lot of talk about the cervix during that whole situation. (laughs) I'm going to go with Rocky was 100% not in the room during Jamie's birth. (laughs) But no, it is hilarious. It's like, so it's definitely something you want to listen to with someone else because it's so much funnier. Um, Or, you know, after a few drinks. But I nearly choked to death on tea one time listening. It just caught me off guard. And apparently not with my child is what you're saying. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, he will learn a lot, but it'll all be wrong. Yeah, no, we're, we're trying real hard to learn the right things. Right. Okay, so back away from humor and happiness. Um, so, yeah, light bulb in the, in the uterus. Um, at her crime scene, they did find tire impressions and body hairs and fibers and she also had been covered with a towel that wasn't hers so they had quite a bit of stuff belonging to the killer his clothing the towel his hair some fibers tire impressions all kinds of good stuff somebody's getting sloppy right and yet not yet you've heard the quote from ted bundy um which quote from ted bundy oh um Tell the jury to, they got it wrong. That one? Tell the jury they're wrong. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my God, I misquoted Bundy. Um, I forget the exact words, but it's something like, you know, for your first murder, you plan really meticulously. And by the 15th, like, you forgot to bring the monkey wrench. <laughs> you know, you just... That sounds about right. Yeah, you biff it. I don't know if we're on 15 yet, but we're getting there. I also probably entirely misquoted that but it's somewhere in there that you do it so often that you forget parts right like the other day when i wound up at shirt at work with no shirt that was different that was different i didn't forget (laughs) (laughs) i mean you did i no i didn't i was right dressed i just there was a wardrobe malfunction and i needed a new shirt i don't know that it was a wardrobe malfunction i think it was an errand malfunction Or a Zoe malfunction or a Lila malfunction or something. I'm not real sure. Somewhere in there. Yep. All right. So next victim was Starla Jane Ferguson. She was found by a jogger early in the morning of January 18th, 1990. She was 24. 
She had similar arrests to the other victims, and she was found half-nude. She'd been strangled to death so violently that she had almost completely bitten off her own tongue in the struggle. Oh, Jesus. Which I think is really hard to do. Yes. Um, then on a farm in February, workers found Carol Lynn Miller, who was 35. She was again known to the police for drugs and sex work arrests. She'd been missing for a month. So she was really one of the only ones that was ever reported missing before they found her. Because all of the people so far had been like those super easy targets, right? They live on the fringe of society. They aren't kept well, you know, really good track of. They frequently go missing. Like they're just not, they don't have a big support system. Call your people. Call your people. So like the others, Carol had been stabbed and strangled and she had a cut in her right breast, which is his new thing. He's going to keep doing that. So then eight months went by pretty quietly. They still have no real leads. And I say that because it's not like they're not trying. They, California is not a stranger to serial killers, even in the 90s. Right. Um, they know how to do it. And they've assembled a task force, and it is a sizable one. At one point, it was up to like 22 detectives that were just in this one town on this one case. And they got a lot of bad press from people that were like, mm, if these weren't prostitutes, you would have found the killer by now. But really, it seems like they actually did really, really try to find the killer. They had assembled all their best people. They were doing, there just was no evidence like there was plenty of evidence to tie him to it if they ever caught him but there wasn't anything to lead to him well and it's the 90s it's the 90s yeah you know there's no dna database we just nope. didn't have the tools we have now yep there aren't cameras everywhere to look for whatever there have never been any living victims um there's no i mean these aren't people that have like had regular contact with him this you know one day he goes and picks somebody up and that's it so, in November, a man was working an afternoon shift at a plant when he saw something in a pile of tree branches that had been cut down. Um, it was a naked, mutilated woman's body. He said at first he thought it was a mannequin, and he couldn't figure out why it was there with the tree branches, and so he'd gone to take a closer look, and it was an actual human. Um, Cheryl Coker, 33, she had been strangled to death and this time her right breast had been completely removed and then placed next to her body oh. and police also found shoe prints which they were able to take molds of but still no idea who the killer was December 21st which is my husband's birthday um, Susan Sternfield was discovered by a janitor at a factory she had been carefully posed she was completely nude. She'd been strangled to death. Um, January, Kathleen Leslie Milne, who had also gone by Carol Kathleen Swenson and Kathy Pluckett, because like all of the others, she had many arrests for drugs and prostitution. She was found alongside a road by a very shocked and terrified commuter. She had been beaten until she was unconscious and then strangled to death. And they knew that she'd been killed within the last 24 hours. So they felt like this time they had been really close, but mm -hmm. still nothing. Mm. Four months later, April 27th, a transient stumbled upon Sherry or possibly Cherry, Michelle Passure. She had been a maid, but also had convictions for sex work and drugs. She was in a flower bed by a bowling alley. So pretty much put on display, she had been raped, strangled, and posed with a toilet plunger protruding from her vagina. Oh. Yep. And then on the 4th of July, some picnickers came across Sherry Ann Latham, 37. She had been strangled, but she hadn't died immediately, and the killer had left, and she had tried to crawl for help, and her hand was wrapped around a tree. But then she had died before anyone, before she was able to get help. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, August 15th, 1991, a sex worker came in to the police to report she'd been attacked. She had been in a van with a customer and everything had been going fine. And then all of a sudden he just lost it and got violent. 
and she had barely managed to get out of the van. As soon as she got out, the man sped away, but then she saw him stop like a couple corners down and pick up another girl, Kelly Marie Hammond, who was a friend of hers, but hadn't seen what happened. Mm-hmm. And so just got in the van with him and then they drove away. Oh. So she was able to describe the van. She was able to describe the man to some extent um, and then where she had been. And so the police were able to very quickly find Kelly Marie Hammond, whose body was still warm. She had been strangled. <sighs> then Catherine McDonald was the next victim. And she almost wasn't connected with any of the others because even though she also had arrests for prostitution and drugs and she'd also been stabbed and strangled and had her breast removed, she was black and all the other women were white. Is it a departure? It is. But because of the removed breasts, they decided they were most likely connected Also, police had recently uh, released a statement in the media that the killer was probably a white man who preyed exclusively on white women in their 20s and 30s. And so they believed that he had killed Catherine to prove that he was smarter than they were and they didn't know what they were talking about. (sighs) So the final two victims were found in that fall and winter. Delia Zamora Wallace, 35, was found the day before Halloween in 1991. She was a mom of five and had the same criminal history as the others and had been strangled to death. And then two days before Christmas, Eleanor Ojeda Casares, who is 39, was found naked. Her right breast was missing, also gone. So both hers and Catherine's he took with them. Um, and she was so close to the police station that they believed that she had been put there intentionally as a taunt to them. How many are we up to now? Uh, 19. And how many in 91? Like, he's in berserker mode. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of them in 91. I feel like that is maybe the most in the least amount of time that I've heard from a serial killer. That's pretty extensive. Yeah. Well, and all of this is from 86 to 91. So at least ni- 19 that they were, that they connected in that time. Right. But eight in a year. Yeah. Like that is yeah. excessive. So on January 9th, a police officer noticed a van that sort of matched the description given by the woman who had escaped her attacker. It was making an illegal U-turn. So he pulled him over. And William Lesser- Lester Suff was polite and apologetic. And it didn't matter at all. So in his car, they found a bloody knife and objects related to a string of serial killings, which turned out to be rope and a sleeping bag that they were able to pull fibers from and match to the fibers on several of the victims. Oh, was that his hauling device? I think so. Because he had moved, it sounds like, a couple of the bodies at least. Yes. He liked to dump them um, alongside roads or in fields and on farms and orchards, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yep. Um, So Suff denied any involvement or connection despite hours of interrogations, but they collected blood, they collected hair, they matched it to the victims. There was no doubt in anyone's mind. And so within a week, he had been charged with the death of Catherine McDonald, the one that had been found in September, and Eleanor Ojeda Cazares, who had been found just before Christmas. So the police discovered very little about Suff's childhood, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, but they did find the record of his conviction for the murder of his first child and the investigation into the attempted murder of his second. Mm-hmm. And they found that both of his siblings, who were both brothers, um, were also criminals. One of them was a drug addict and the other one was a pedophile. Good job, mom and dad stuff. Right? Whatever went on in their house or with their genetics or a combination of both. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you might recognize him as the Riverside prostitute killer or the Lake Elsinore killer, which were the names the media had given him before he was caught. Uh-huh. He is responsible for the deaths of somewhere between 12 and 22 women between 1986 and 1991. 
His trial lasted 54 days and had over 30 witnesses that came forward, but the very best evidence presented was the hair and fiber evidence. Um, but they also pointed that the shoes and the tire treads matched, and Suff had the same variety of light bulb in his home that was found inside of Christine Leal. <sighs> so last week, you talked about Serial Killer 101. Mm-hmm. And not acting like a serial killer after you've killed people. Mm-hmm. So things that Suff did to act like a serial killer. He pretended to be a police officer. He uh, was he delivered furniture to the police office, right? Mm-hmm. And then he would impersonate them. So he got to really know them in their ways and then would impersonate them. And a lot of people who came forward when they were gathering evidence and preparing for the trial thought he was a police officer and always had. Very Kemper-like. Mm-hmm. He also delivered furniture to the very squad of detectives that has been hunting or that had been hunting him and didn't raise any suspicions, but would have been pretty well informed about the case, which might account for that two-year break where either he found a better place to hide bodies or stopped altogether because they might have been getting close. Cooling off. Typical stereo, typical serial killer. Cooling yeah. off and then that berserker mode. Yeah. So he was convicted of 12 of the 19 murders, um, or possibly 22 murders. And when the jury was asked what their sentence recommendation would be, it took them 10 minutes to sentence him to death. And there was a quote from one woman who was like, well, I'm Catholic and I don't believe in the death penalty. So it was a very hard decision for me. But I want to point out it was a very hard 10 minute decision. They were all done with him. I'm sure she had considered it prior to those 10 minutes. Well, that's true. But I feel that they're definitely like, I am not okay with the death penalty. Um, But there are some people I'd make an exception for. Right, right. So he was convicted of 12 of the murders. Um, His attorney who, uh, not his attorney like his defense attorney, but he had a friend who was an attorney who wrote and published a book called Cat and Mouse, Mind Games with a Serial Killer. And it was a collection of Suff's writing and poetry and recipes because he had all that award-winning chili. Mm -hmm. He even, Suff even, managed to appear on Geraldo to promote the book. I don't know how the hell that happens. So I did do some research into Son son of Sam because the first thing that went off in my mind is he can't profit from this bullshit. Um, But it's a whole lot more limited than I thought it was. So in, I mean, it's been overturned a bunch of times because it violates First Amendment rights. Um, Son of Sam laws? mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. However, um, what they've basically done, like New York rewrote theirs, for example, and basically said, fine, you can write whatever you want, but if you make, the moment you make $10,000, we're notifying every victim's family of this profit, and then they can sue you and take it all away. Yep. I thought it was just automatically distributed to the victims. The victims actually have to sue? Yeah, apparently. Shitty. Yes, agreed. Um, So, I guess that means that families of these victims could sue for profit because the lawyer published it. So, technically, that's like a loophole. But the laws, at least like in New York, say that even if somebody related to this person or in the vicinity of this person writes a book, the victims can still sue and take the profits. Mm -hmm. But my guess is, based on his victims, there's probably not a whole lot of family who can or is interested in taking up that legal battle. Well, yeah, and against a lawyer and his lawyers. Right. You know, I'm sure he did everything exactly by the loophole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. So, last thing is his award-winning chili. Mm. After he was um, convicted, the prosecutor told the jury foreman and several of the other jurors, and this is not substantiated, but... The secret ingredient in the chili? Oh, it was boobs. Yup. <laughs> also, wouldn't that just add a lot of grease to the chili? So I was telling David this story last <laughs> night 
I was like, so listen to this or a couple nights ago. Mm. And uh, he was like, but isn't that just like fat? It was like, well, you have fat and weird glands. And like, I can't well, imagine there's any good, good meat. No, there's no muscle. No, because he wasn't cutting into the chest wall, right? It was just no, taking the breast just off. the breast. Yep. Yeah, no, that's just all fat and weird shit. Well, but you know what? Maybe that's what Chili needs is more fat and weird shit. I'm just going to go ahead and stick with the way I've been making it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if breast is listed as an ingredient in this book. Because oh. his award-winning chili recipes are in there. I'm going to guess true. it's not. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to skip that one because I do have boob to spare, but... Not for chili. Well, and not to take care of myself. Like, if they need to come off, I'd like a licensed professional to be involved. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would, I mean, I feel like he was getting less careful. He was yeah. leaving more behind. There's a good chance they would have one day caught him. But it brings me some very strange delight to know that it was an illegal U-turn that was his it undoing. Down. Yeah. Like, of <laughs> all the things, that is so inoffensive. Oh, yeah. Was there any word on, like, because looking especially at those 91 killings like he was definitely in berserker mode which again can explain some of the not being very careful was there any talk from people that were around him about whether or not he was acting like a weirdo during that time or if everything was just dandy? no um there was no indication in anything that i read and there were some fantastic articles i'll link them all um but there was no indication in anything that anyone suspected in his world he was like kind of Bundy like in that way I mean I guess with Bundy like his girlfriend suspected but right. um but the people that just sort of knew him casually they all I mean he was he was very mellow he was very nice he chatted with people he was active in the carpool and frequently drove and he was just all of this stuff like when they went back and looked, the books he were writing, he was writing were very violent and upsetting. Um, mm -hmm. I forget what the one was about. It was like training dogs to eat people or something like that. Like it was not okay, but I don't think that anybody had ever read them. And so nobody knew until yeah. afterwards. Um, so yeah, and I mean, he spaced them out. Like it was a lot of murders in one year, but none of them were the same month. And so, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, so, I was yeah. just thinking about how I find it so interesting that people around don't pick up on these things. And I wonder if it's that, you know, are people really good manipulators or are people just not observant? And then it occurred to me that lots of people who don't know me very well think I'm a nice person. So, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then those who know you sort of well believe that you're not and then those of us that know you really well know that that's just a lie Shh. sorry <laughs> i'm letting everyone in on the secret oh man so much learning today <laughs> so yeah that is um, crazy and i had not heard of him actually Oh, I'm so excited. It's new to me. Yeah. There were, I found a list and I'm actually posting that as one of the resources too. Um, just on like, um, ranker or something, mm -hmm. right. One of those list sites of criminals who got caught for a minor crime or like mm -hmm. not their main crime. And I was going through it. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's, like we know that person and we know that person, we know that yeah. person. like Bundy was on there I'm like I can't do Bundy <laughs> so I found one that I didn't recognize mm -hmm. and then was absolutely delighted at all of the resources and I didn't even get to finish like there were so many more things I wanted to read like court documents and yeah so, but, and there was a lot of good stuff about the victims. I know I went through it really fast because there were so many, yeah. but there was some good stuff about them. Like what them as people, which was nice. That is nice. Especially when you're dealing with ladies like those that have had problems with sex and that have engaged yeah. in sex work. Like you don't always get that. No. No. Well, I mean, a lot of times there's not anybody to tell you or there's not, you know, all that all the highlights are negative. 
Yeah. And one of the articles I was reading, it just kept saying, so-and-so, so-and-so, prostitute, so-and-so, so-and-so, prostitute. And I was like, I'm not going to say it like that. No. Because that's not who she was. Well, also, yeah, no. Yeah, like his one, his one nickname was the Riverside Prostitute Killer. And it's like, seriously? That's all she gets to be? she was a whole human being and now she's just a prostitute yeah so yeah yeah horrible 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 um to my knowledge he has not actually been executed yet um takes forever it apparently took something like five years to just appoint him an attorney um jesus for appeals and all of that. And so he's got, he's got a long time to go potentially yeah. if ever, I don't know what the state of uh, death penalty is in California right now. I think it might not be a thing. Hmm. Great. I feel like it was overturned because I think Manson was supposed to. Hold on. I'm looking it up because now I'm curious. We're going to learn more. We learned about some Son of Sam laws, wallabies, red stars. Whether or not you can put light bulbs in terrifying places. So California technically has the death penalty. However, this year, the governor put a moratorium on it. I think that's fine. I I don't think that there aren't people who deserve it. I just think that I don't know anyone who can make that determination. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Responsibly. And like. The, mm. Yeah. No. The government doesn't get to make those decisions. It's kind of a terrifying thought. So, Diana, as we are wrapping up. Do you have any advice for us this week? I do. You know, we talk a lot about murder. Yes. Like a lot. Yes. Murder. Most every week. Almost. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about it so much and it's in kind of the pop culture so much that we forget that it's a relatively rare occurrence. True. But do you know what isn't a relatively rare occurrence? What? Traffic accidents. True. So even if you're not on the lamb, just be safe on the roads, please. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. Yeah. When I, I think even like do some common sense stuff. Don't drink and then drive. Yeah. You know, don't, don't text U-turns. and drive. Don't make illegal U-turns. Although really, if you have to choose one thing, that does not seem like that big of an idea as long as you look both ways. But whatever. Yeah. I mean, mostly make sure nobody else is around and also that, you know, you're not about to be nailed for a, just a whole lot of killing. I mean, if you did a whole lot of killing, maybe don't make the illegal U-turn. Right. But I'm trying to, like you always say how I don't have a moral compass. So I'm trying not <laughs> to make it. <laughs> Only be a safe driver if you're a fucking criminal. I would like all of our fans to be it's safe true. drivers. <laughs> it is true. It is true. I do. My moral compass is occasionally unstuck. Unstuck. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Call your people. Call your people. I just read the names of 19 human beings who could have just used a phone call from their people. Well, and who were never reported missing except for one. Yes. No one even knew. Even your weird criminal relatives, like, check up on them once in a while. Just make sure they're okay. Yeah. And don't end up on next week's episode.